Good morning, everyone. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come before you this morning to hear your word preached and proclaimed, Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us and that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak. And Father, as we continue our series in 1 John, Lord, as we look at poverty, as we look at taking care of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting, Lord, I ask that you would impress upon us what this means, what it means to care for those in need, what it means to care out of our plenty, out of our abundance, and what it means to love and to fully love, to completely love our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I was reading a story by uh, Terry Bell. He relates a memorable experience. The year was 1969, he says, and it was my first real mission trip. I was in a little village in South India and terribly homesick, he says. I was 20 years old and starving for a good old American cheeseburger. Now, if you've ever been overseas, I lived in Saudi Arabia for a couple years. I was in Iran for a while. Henry was overseas for a while. If you've been overseas for a long time, you will uh, be amazed how much you will crave a cheeseburger, right? It's one of the things that you crave like crazy. Now, I've not had one in two and a half months. I, I, I think he's kind of a week. I hadn't had one for two years. That was a lot worse. But the land around me was a semi-jungle, semi-bush, Tarzan would have felt right at home, but I did not. And one boring afternoon, I whiled away the hours by playing with the monkeys that forever enlivened our premises. Now, standing out on the balcony, I teased the little primate, he said, by handing him little balls of bread. A hairy hand, or is it a paw, he said, would reach over the edge of the roof and I would place a morsel in it. And like lightning, it was retracted and The squealing and grunting, the delight of the monkey-minded buddies would be excited as they would hand it off. What a great game. Now suddenly I realized on the street below my balcony that there was a crowd that had gathered. They were not nearly as entertained by this monkeying around as I was. One thin-faced, sickly-looking boy looked up at me with bulging eyes, and in broken English he said, Master, Feed poor boys, not monkeys. It was like a stab in the heart. In the street below were orphans, beggars, lepers, the off-scourings of humankind, mothers and fathers who had starving children, children who watched malnourished parents die, parents who would watch their hungry children watching them die, knowing them, knowing that they had left them to a miserable life on the streets, and there I was playing games with the bread that for them was so precious, I was cut to the heart. Every day, he says, this scene is reenacted in thousands of padded pew churches whose priorities are playing games with monkeys. Poverty is something we understand a little bit of in America. At different times, uh, Pew Research will say that a certain percentage, maybe 
are under the poverty line in America where we make $22,000 a year or whatever the poverty line will be. But I would suggest to you that we don't truly understand poverty in America at that level. Now, I've worked and my wife has worked among the poor at various times, and some of you may have worked among the poor. And there are pockets in this country that know true poverty, but most of our poor have cars or cell phones, and they still eat. There are some poor on the streets, uh, mentally ill and other folks who don't have food, and and a lot of our homeless uh, choose to live on the streets. There are some who don't choose to live on the streets, and they do know poverty. And there are people in the Delta, and there are people in Appalachia who know true poverty. But by and large, in our country, we don't know poverty to the level of places that I've been overseas. In Mexico, where we worked in the dump, where people actually lived in trash dumps, picking food from among the trash, and that's how they ate every single day, if they could find food. And, and other people where we would find, and they were barely making it, or they were starving to death, as my friends have seen in other countries. And so that is a poverty of a level that the Americans don't understand. So there's a true level of poverty that is out there. We don't always get that unless you've gone overseas. John here is talking about something a little bit different. He is talking about dealing with that kind of poverty at times, but he's talking about dealing with those in need in your own congregation. He's talking about dealing with poverty as well, and that's what we're going to look about uh, look at a little bit this morning. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John three sixteen to 18. There he says, by this we know love, agape, that he laid down his life, and of course he's talking here about Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives <clears throat> for the brothers. And when he says brothers, of course, uh, that's Greek for meaning brothers and sisters, uh, everyone in the household of God. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So John continues his series, uh, continues this teaching. And remember, uh, they would have read this letter fully, like I would have just stood up and read the letter to you all in the congregation just completely. And so John is talking about putting his faith or putting your faith into action. Remember, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not simply a checklist. I checked off things that I personally think or do. It's actually putting your faith into action. And here John talks about agape, unconditional love. So what does it mean to have agape, unconditional love, for another brother or sister in Christ? And so what he says is that agape, that model for agape, that model for unconditional love is found in who? Who do we look to for unconditional love? Who do you think? God. And who specifically? You think there's another person we can look to for unconditional love? Jesus. Jesus. That's pretty good. We can look to Jesus, right? So we look to God 
and we look to Jesus, both of those are very good for unconditional love. And what did Jesus do for us? Remember what he did to show his love? Don't remember? What happened on that thing? See that thing in the front? On the cross? Do you remember what he did? He died for us. That's very good. He should be preaching my sermon. You want to preach? All right. So he died for us on the cross. What does he mean by that? So what John points, what the apostle points to us, he says this. Jesus died on the cross for us. But that was a perfect display of love. So what happened on the cross? So Jesus underwent torture from the Romans, of course. We understand that. We've all heard that, or many of us have heard what Jesus did. And then he died on the cross. Now, it's not that God requires torture to pay for our sins. That's what we did to Jesus. We as human beings, right? So I've heard uh, bishops and different people say, ah, God is so cruel that he required the cross, that he required torture, that he required, oh, whoa, 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 I say. God didn't beat Jesus. God didn't put thorns in his brow. God didn't do any of those things. Sin requires death as a payment, but last I checked, human beings did that to Jesus. We love to blame him. That's what we do. We want free will until we pay the consequences for free will, and then it's God's fault. I was just talking to someone about that this week. God is a meanie when he does things I don't want, when he lets me face the consequences for my own actions. I hear this all the time. It just wasn't this person. But we have this all the time. God is a meanie when I face consequences for my actions or when the world does things I don't like. But we want free will all the other times, right? That's kind of how it goes. But here, Jesus dies on the cross for us, and what the apostle says is this is unconditional love. This is love in action. It's not just a feeling, and that's what a lot of our society confuses. We think love is a feeling. How do I know I'm in love? Well, you listen to current rock songs. I have this feeling, right? Love is a feeling. I just, I feel this way towards you, right? Or it's lust, or whatever it is. But that's not exactly what love is in Scripture. There's like a commitment level, right? I may feel a certain way towards you, but I would suggest that if I die on the cross to pay something to pay for your sin, that's a lot more than a feeling. That's a commitment. And so scripturally, love is a commitment. And so what John says for Christ excuse me, for Christians, this is the kind of love we're to have. And this isn't just what John says, it's what Jesus says, it's what Paul says, it's what Peter says, right? This is the love that we are to have for others. So how much are you to love another believer as Christ loved them? How much are you to love your wife as Christ loved them? How much are you to love that person that you can't stand? as Christ loved them. How good a Christian are you? Well, as much as you love the person you hate the most. 
Ah. <laughs> just hurt a lot of people, didn't it? As much as you love the person you hate the most, that is the measure of your faith in a lot of ways. This was love put into action. So when we see Christians, we see our fellow Christians, sorry, excuse me. So when we see our fellow Christians in need, and this is what John says, we are called to sacrifice for them as well. He says, look, Jesus sacrificed for us. And so when we, as our brothers and sisters, when we see our brothers and sisters in need, we are called to sacrifice for them as well just as Jesus sacrificed for us. And how much are we to sacrifice for them? As much as we need to. And are we called to sacrifice for them reluctantly or willingly? And John says, "Mm, I don't know. Well, probably in the same way that Jesus sacrificed for us. And how did Jesus sacrifice for us? Did he say, no, I don't want to do it? He did it. He had a hard time at times, but he did it. He sacrificed for us willingly. He says in the same way that Jesus does it, we are called to do it for our brothers and sisters who are in need. Now notice here, he's not talking about taking care of the entire world. There are other verses which speak of caring for the orphans and the widows and the poor. But here the command is a special care with which we are called to take care of our brothers and sisters in Jesus. These are the people of our own spiritual family, and we're especially called to take care of them when we are in need. And that's what he's talking about here. It's it's taking care of your own household first. And this is a mistake that a lot of Christians make. We think, wait, we're supposed to take care of our own first. And that means that I love my own family first, and I kind of lock out the rest of the world, right? Take care of your own. Raise your own. Don't worry about the rest. And that's not what he's saying. See, when the Christians are supposed to take care of their own, what Scripture means by that is, look, You are supposed to take care of your own family so that the church does not have to support them. If you're not supporting your mother in her old age and the church is having to support her in her old age because you're being lazy and not doing your job, then that unnecessarily burdens the church. So you are supposed to take care of your own first so that the church does not have to do it for you. In other words, the church needs to be taking care of those people who actually need it. And that's what we're supposed to do. And then we take care of that. Now, there's other passages which talk about people who are being lazy and people who are not doing their job. We're not supposed to take care of them. Those people are lazy. They're supposed to be rebuked. But people who are actually in need, the church is called to care for. It is part of our duty. And if we don't do it, John says, how can you have the love of God within you and not do it? If you have the world's goods and reject the care of your fellow Christian when they are in need, then God's love must not abide in you. It's a pretty stern warning. This is Christianity 201, not 101. He's building on the basics, and now he's saying, look, Christian, you need to now progress to the next level, and this is 201. Love should now be dwelling within you, and you should be pushing yourself a little bit deeper, and now, as you go deeper, you should be expressing this love. So I ask you, are you, Christian, expressing this love? Are you committed to others? Are you generous with what you have? Are you looking for opportunities to give and to help 
others. We had that opportunity when we gave to Rwanda and our brothers and sisters in need over there. We have that opportunity when we give to Lincoln Village and we help over there. Are you willing and are you giving? Are you looking for opportunities in your community to help with people? It's pretty core to the faith. It also separates us from the artificial love with the, which the world puts forth in our day. Often what passes for taking care of others in our society means voting for candidates who will put government programs in which will take care of the poor. And I can't tell you how many Christians I run into and pastors I run into who pass themselves off as compassionate because they feel that they, if they vote this way or that way for this candidate or that candidate, then they are compassionate because they've voted this way. But they don't actually do anything. They're not actually out there taking care of the poor. They're not actually ministering to anybody. They're not actually giving of their funds. They're not actually putting anything into action. And this is false grace. This is false compassion. All you're doing is voting for other people's money to help the poor or for the government to force other people to do it. You're not actually doing it yourself. Jesus says you are called to get out there and to do it. You are called to put yourself on the line. You are called to be in relationship with other people, drawing them to Jesus. You are called to be in relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ and helping them when they're needed. And that, that may mean more than financial. That may mean you need to roll up your sleeves and go mow a lawn or go clean up a house or go fix somebody's house if they're elderly or if they're handicapped or whatever the need may be. May need to babysit or may need to have somebody over your house if they're, if they're a single mom or a single father or any of those things if they're needed. That's what John is talking about. That's what James is talking about. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We are called to put ourselves out there. Christianity is about relationship. It's not about cheap grace. It's not about artificial compassion, which makes you feel good for essentially doing nothing whatsoever. And this is why the rich, Jesus tells the rich ruler, and we'll end with this in Luke 18, 22, our gospel passage this morning. And Jesus heard this. He said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He's not saying that you could never be rich, but he is saying this. What does the ruler do? He goes away sad because he had great wealth. He wanted cheap grace. He wanted a path to holiness that didn't hurt and required little effort. He wanted a checklist. Do this, don't do that. How many of us want that checklist? How many of you have wanted a checklist? I want to check off these 10 things, and if I do that, Jesus is going to accept me. And then Jesus comes and says, ha, I don't want your checklist. Give up your God, which is money. Give it to the poor who could use it. Give it all up and come and follow me. What is your God? What is that thing which you put ahead of Jesus? Help the poor and the needy, he says. <clears throat> Be someone who cares about others unconditionally. 
He wanted a path that didn't hurt and required little effort. In our society, we want to help others with other people's money, the rich or whoever else is the current bad person of the moment. We want to throw some money at it. We don't want to actually roll up our sleeves and help out. But Jesus demands of us something more. Love is a relationship. It takes personal effort. It demands compassion and caring and self-sacrifice. And when our brothers and sisters are in need, it requires us to go and help them. And sometimes it requires us to give of our plenty to help in their poverty. Amen.